0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Will you please welcome Jan Ravens? (laughs) Hello. Hello, hello. Oh, thank you, thank you. haven't got anything yet. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming, everybody. This is very, very, very exciting for me. Has anybody been to platforms here at The National before? yes your old hands jolly good so you know that this is like a sort of you know it's a it's a work in progress and as i've called my show this is the show i'm doing for edinburgh which i've called difficult woman so um enjoy your tea don't mind me um so it, it's called, <laughs> it's called difficult woman and uh yeah sort of based on that comment that uh, ken clark made about about theresa may so um as you can imagine Things have changed quite a lot uh, <laughs> since, uh, since we decided to do that. So, um, yes, had to do uh, a little bit of, uh, a bit of rewriting along the way. But, um, but nevertheless, uh, here we are. And uh, so this is going to be not so much a show as a sort of conversation about a show. Um, I mean, to be fair, I'll be doing most of the talking, uh, <laughs> if that's all right with you. Um, uh, but, you know, feel free to chip in. Um, so, yeah, so it's a show called Difficult Woman, and, uh, and it's kind of, you know, because there are all these, uh, all these women in power at the moment uh, all over the world, and, and also because I am a woman of a similar age, and, um, and so I sort of feel that, you know, this is a sort of uh, if-not-now-when kind of thing. So the show is about, uh, like I say, based on Theresa May, who is, um, you know, a difficult and successful woman. Um, LAUGHTER Less successful now, uh, maybe. Um, but um, when she came back from the palace uh, last week, I mean, it was like Groundhog Day, wasn't it? I have just been to Buckingham Palace, where Her Majesty the Queen asked me to form a government, and Prince Philip asked me to make him a cup of tea, and don't forget the hobnob, sweetheart. And I accepted both requests. I mean, It was quite extraordinary, the way she just sort of... You know, it was like nothing had happened. Like, she hadn't just spent 130 million quid of taxpayers' money that she couldn't apparently give off her magic money tree to the nurses. I mean, like, nothing had happened at all. I mean, do you think that when she went to see the Queen, the Queen was maybe, uh, you know, not best pleased? I mean, I can just imagine Teresa sort of walking in, and the Queen just going... What the
1: actual fuck? (laughs) I mean, you were only here a minute ago. What the fuck's going on? I mean, don't you think I've got enough to do here? I've got Philip at home all the time now under my feet. I tell you, lady, if I miss Ascot, you're going to the fucking tower. I think actually the Queen
0: might have got a bit sort of Anne Robinson on her. You know, because in a way, the Queen isn't sort of tonally very different from Anne Robinson because, you know, the Queen's got that, that sort of mouth, you know, that sort of grumpy mouth like that. She sort of, you know, always has it's sort of a resting bitch face. <laughs> like that, whereas Anne Robinson's mouth is that sort of more twisty mouth like that. But sort of t- tonally, you know, there's that sort of, you know, the, the, it's, not, it's not dissimilar, and I think, you know, the Queen might have
1: got a bit, so, who's ten seats, who's ten seats short of a majority? <laughs> Who doesn't know whether Prime Minister is a boy job or a girl job? <laughs> who's been naughtier than a vicar's daughter in a wheat field?
0: <laughs> and Theresa would have just stood there going, I am the only person who can provide certainty. Only I can keep this country safe. I mean, she is so tense, Theresa May. The whole impression is about tension, because she has that tense mouth, which she uses to over-enunciate every phrase very, very clearly. It's all about the T's and D's. And it's almost like she's so tense that she wants to smile, but the rest of her face won't let her. (laughs) And, and, the, and the voice is kind of—I think they call it diphonic or diaphonic. It's—it's it's like there's two. It's like she's doing her own descant all the time. She's sort of uh, providing herself with a sort of harmony at all times, like two-tone Tessie. Um, and um, then the way she walks—I don't know if you've noticed—the way she walks, she sort of walks like she's carrying a drip trolley. <laughs> I don't know if that's why she goes on those holidays with two sticks, you know, keep her upright. Because it's a bit like Margaret Thatcher, isn't she? Margaret Thatcher had her handbag, you know, and her head forward. It's what my mother used to call, "Here's my head, my bottom's coming." <laughs> but yeah, Th- Theresa May, all all about the tension, and she. She did sort of, at one point in the campaign, I remember, sort of try and kind of pretend that she was maybe a little bit witty, a little bit off the cuff. She sort of said, um, uh, one of my colleagues famously called me uh, a difficult woman, and um, as I said at the time, the next person to find out what a difficult woman I am will be John Claude Juncker. The idea that Theresa May said anything at the time is, you know, completely (laughs) unbelievable. I mean, the idea that she would have had the... oh yes, I know how to wittily riposter that remark, Ken <laughs> Clark. It just wasn't going to happen, was it? I mean, she, um, she actually wouldn't even go to a debate. So the idea that she would make a witty comment... I mean, she wouldn't even talk to people without a pre-prepared speech. It has been marvellous getting out and about outside the Westminster bubble, seeing ordinary working people being shoved aside by my security staff... <laughs> as I visit yet another deserted factory with three random workers who've been given strict instructions not to look me in the eye. Because I'm like the Gorgon Medusa in reverse. If anyone stares at me directly in the eye, I'm the one who goes completely rigid. But uh, Theresa does have to get her coalition of chaos sorted out, doesn't she? She's, she's met with Arlene Foster of, uh, of the DUP, Anti abortion, anti gay marriage, uh, creationist. Seems like a perfectly nice woman, doesn't she? <laughs> but uh, Ar- 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 Arlene Foster, I mean, she looks a bit like a Harry Enfield character there. <laughs> but uh,
1: nobody in Northern Ireland wants a hard border. I don't think Theresa May understands the problem of the hard border. Because when I mentioned it to her, she suggested we have a herbaceous border. <laughs> I don't think she's got quite the idea.
0: Anyway, let's have a little discussion about about why Ken Clarke called Theresa May a bloody difficult woman. Was it, do you think, just because she didn't agree with him? Was it because maybe uh, she wouldn't go for a beer with him and listen to tedious jazz? (laughs) Or was it because she was in some way puzzling, like a sort of quadratic equation with tits? (laughs) Jermaine Greer, what do you think, would you agree? I don't do agreeable, I do challenging and argumentative. (laughs) Too many men see women as difficult merely because they're ambitious, decisive, authoritative, qualities I may remind you that are considered admirable in the male. I can remember a time when women had to fight both tooth and claw for the most basic rights and recognition. I think it was about 10 o'clock this morning. (laughs) But perhaps it's men that have a problem with strong women. Sandy Toxfig. On the contrary, they can't get enough of me. <laughs> well, let's face it, there isn't much to start with. They turn me into a sort of para-quiz show host, curiously, and airlift me in to resuscitate old panel games when one of the chaps can't hack it, or maybe needs to go off and have his ego waxed. <laughs> Janet Street Porter, a final word from you. Well, there are people who call me
1: difficult. <laughs> But they only call me difficult because they can't understand a bloody word I'm saying. (laughs) If any
0: of you want a quick shortcut to doing a Janet Street Porter impression, you just put your finger up there between between your top lip and your tooth and it just makes a Janet Street Porter impression really, really much better. So there you are, a little top tip for you there. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, Theresa May is actually the same age as me, extraordinary. I, <laughs> what what I was actually hoping for here, <laughs> um, <clears throat> because it is the first time I have aired this material uh, at all, is is that what I what I might get is uh, is what I call some kind heckling, <laughs> um, because if it, it be, no. <laughs> But no, but no, 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 but listen, listen, if I, maybe this nice man here, sitting here, now you look a nice man, so if I say, I'm the same, same age as Theresa May, you might reply, you don't look old enough, okay? So I'm the same age as Theresa May. Oh, you, you don't look old enough. <laughs> Who rattled your cage? <laughs> So nice, very nice, thank you very much indeed. Now, it might not always be so obvious, okay, but I'm just gonna need a little sort of, you know, a little, little boost kind of throughout the show, if that's all right. And so I'm, I'm gonna be relying on you because you look kind, okay? And uh, so it might be a little more elliptical. So if I say, um, I've just renewed my National Trust membership. He was just thinking about it. I've just renewed my National Trust membership. Oh, you don't look old enough. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I've just, uh, just bought myself a nice pair of Marks and Spencers foot gloves.
2: <laughs> no, you, you really don't look old
0: enough. Took the dog for too long a walk this morning and wet myself on the way home. You don't uh, look old enough. That wasn't quick enough. Anyway, I'll I'll keep my eye on you. Um, But anyway, it is great. It is great that all these women, you know, all over the world, are now holding positions of power. And you know, we're we're kind of in danger of thinking that maybe we're in a post-feminist age now. Well. You know, you know, you're not in a post-feminist age, even when you see like women struggling with buggies, you know, up the steps on the tube, you know, and the shopping and the, onto the bus. I mean, I'm sure if women, were, if if men were spending most of their time looking after children, they would have got that sorted out by now. So I don't think we're in a post-feminist age. And in in fact, um, uh, oh, I'm not supposed to be on that bit. No, hang on. Um, no, in fact, in fact, um, in the FTSE 100, in the FTSE 100, in a in a There are seven women in charge of FTSE 100 companies. That's seven out of 100 people in charge of FTSE 100 companies are women. Whereas there are 14 men called John. 14 men called John. That's twice as many men called John as women in charge of Putsy 100. So um, we, it is going to be an uphill struggle. It is like scaling the Matterhorn with a mangle uh, in many ways. But um, it is great, all these women holding positions of power, because... You know, not just Theresa May, well, not even Theresa May for much longer. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it gives, it gives young women strong role models uh, to look up to. And, it, you know, it changes people's perception uh, of words like um, doctor and professor and, and president. And um, perhaps more importantly, it means that I've got lots more people to take the piss out of. <laughs> um, because uh, even in Scotland, you know, in, in Scotland, three of the party leaders are uh, 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 women. I mean, first of all, it's Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> Nicola
1: Sturgeon, hold me back! Hold me back, <laughs> would you, somebody? I'm going to lump somebody in a minute. <laughs> she's so full of aggression, isn't she? I mean,
0: she sort of, like, emphasizes everything she says <laughs> by looking like she's going to nut someone, <laughs> especially Ruth Davidson. <laughs> We're sick of hearing about independence. We don't want it, we don't need it. So will the First Minister please sit down before she finds out what a kickboxing lesbian is really all about?
1: And then meanwhile, in the corner, you've got wee Kezia Dugdale, a leader of the Labour Party. And she's busy there trying to be the nice girl in the playground. And she's like doling out the seats that Nicola dropped in the election. One for Ruth, one for me. One for Ruth, one for me. Oh, sorry, Lib Dems, did you want one? You're very sweet little Kezia. I've
0: quite worn myself out doing Nicola. I don't know how she does it. And in America... In America, despite having the chance to elect a perfectly uh, well qualified woman, they seem to have elected a man with um, all the charm and empathy of Sir Philip Green and all the brain power of Krill. Um, (laughs) But I really miss Hillary Clinton. I used to love the way she kind of arrived at a convention pointing and waving. (laughs) You remember?
1: (laughs) Like all my friends have unexpectedly shown up. I must be so popular!
0: (laughs) but I mean, she did have um, a tough act to follow, didn't she, with Obama? Because, um, you know, Obama was such a great speech maker, and Hillary Clinton's idea of good rhetoric was saying each word separately to make my point. (laughs) If I ever had one. But, you know, um, in the end, in the end, In the end, I'm going to say now, as Hillary, uh, in the end, I think the American people just couldn't forgive me for being a woman. I mean, I I certainly think that, you know, uh, if I'd been president and a young intern had performed a sex act on me,
1: I don't think they would have been quite so forgiving. And to be honest, I was looking forward to finding out. (laughs) And, you know, it's going to be such a
0: waste of all this expensive dental work. But, you know, what do I have to do here? Christ, you know, here I am. I'm up against Coco the fucking clown with hair like the Lego man and makeup by Tango. <laughs> I can't get elected because I'm not charming enough, it seems. So I use the wrong email account. Now this fuckwit is telling all our secrets to the Russians. Susan Sarandon, are you happy now? i just think somewhere in my youth or childhood. (laughs) I must have done something really, really shit. (laughs) But never mind Hillary, what happened in Donald Trump's childhood to make him like he is? Because this is like a three-year-old running one of the most powerful countries on the planet. I mean, it's the worst case of arrested development. OK, do you think he was a troubled kid? Picture the scene.
1: Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. It's me, Donald. Hey, Daddy. Hi. I just got to let you know that I am the greatest, the greatest kid, the greatest three-year-old in the country. It's a beautiful country, by the way. I really am. Everybody loves me. Huge numbers of people. Three million in my playgroup alone. Because I am great, Daddy. I am bigly, bigly great. I'm sorry you're not there, Daddy, and I'm having to leave a message, but you're going to be so proud of me because I won today. Everybody said you can't win the hokey-cokey, but I won, Daddy. I did the hokey-cokey. I turned around, and I won, and I did it the best. Then I headbutted the other kids the best, and they cried, so I won. Just so you remember, I'm here, Daddy, and I'm your son. I've written my name on the outside of the house in big letters so you know where I live. And daddy, daddy, I use mommy's secateurs and I cut my hair and I've painted my face orange. So I'll look like you take me to the seaside every day. (laughs) Daddy, okay daddy, see you. Not literally, obviously.
0: Oh, somebody's saying ah to Donald (laughs) Trump. Thank you for that. But maybe it wasn't a traumatic childhood. Maybe he just came out that way. I mean, imagine way back then. Back in the delivery room. Okay, Mrs. Trump, one last
1: push. (laughs) Hi, Mom. Nice pussy, by the way. Hey, if you weren't my mother. (laughs) Wasn't quite sure about that.
0: so, so, what do you think? Um, do you think Trump was um, was a horrible little shit, or or was it the fault of his as, of his Scots immigrant mother and a bullying father with with links to the mafia? I mean, has anybody here got a kid they really don't like? You know, that's a real arsehole. Because you know, you don't have to say the name or anything, but you know, because sometimes you know, I mean, just a bit annoying. I mean, you know, maybe sort of, you know. Or I mean, like, sort of in, in a kind of small way, or maybe, you know, a criminal. Maybe annoying in a criminal way, because that can be annoying because it can be expensive, can't it? I've got one who's a real bastard, I don't mind admitting. <laughs> They fuck you up, your mum and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and then some others just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by folk in old-style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. I love that poem, you know. I found it, I found it peculiarly reassuring. Because, you know, as parents, as uh, maybe some of you are and, and I am, I, I think, you know, we're all just sort of fucking it up in our own sort of special way, aren't we, really? Because our parents, you know, they would say to us, you know, don't you get too big for your boots. And um, whereas we say to our kids, you're beautiful, darling. You're so clever. Well done. Everything you do is fabulous. With the result that they all go on the X Factor and go, I just really, really want it, Simon. I really, really want it. Yeah, well, you can't have it. You've got to work for it. I mean, you know, it's, it's like they've now got this entitlement thing, and it's our own fault because we told them they were so fabulous. But, you know, you can't do that. You've got to earn. You've got to earn it. Haven't you? You've got to do your homework. You know what happens if you don't do your homework. Don't you, Diane Abbott? (laughs) It will cost. It will cost. (laughs) We anticipate. I mean, I'm getting very sick of racist discrimination. I refuse to be judged by the colour of my skin. It's only by the stupidity of the things that I say. People say, how do you do an impression uh, of Diane Abbott? And basically, you just have to imagine that you're being woken up from a really nice nap. It's like, uh, 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 you know, it's like she sort of, you know, Andrew, Andrew. It's like, you know, no, no, don't, don't ask me questions. I want to stay asleep. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know she is supposed to be ill at the moment, although she was, she was supposedly in this very theatre the other night, getting on down to Barbershop Chronicles, I'll have you know. But uh, she is—I mean, she did look very unwell on that uh, that interview on Sky News that I saw. Um, but uh, illness or no illness, she has increased her majority in Hackney um, by almost 11,000 to 35,000, which was bigger than Theresa May's entire vote. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, my constituency refuses to suffer under the yoke of Brexit, particularly under Theresa May, who, let's face it, is like Angela Merkel without the cuddly bit. So we have established the People's Republic of Hackney with free housing, free health care and free education for children. Not mine, obviously. They're going private. I'm not a total numpty. But this show is called Difficult Woman, and um, the poster that, um, that I've, I've got for Edinburgh is, has got me as Medusa. So I've got me with, like, all snakes. It's very, very scary, all snakes coming out of my, uh, coming out of my head. And um, I'm quite fascinated by Medusa. She's known as one of Greek mythology's um, most difficult women. Um, Gorgon monster nightmare, eyes that would turn you to stone if you looked at her, hair made of snakes like a sort of pre-menstrual Katie Hopkins with three double espressos and unlimited Wi-Fi. (laughs) But Medusa didn't start out uh, as this monster. Uh, I mean, she was just an ordinary girl, probably, you know, did the 5-2 diet, used the crying with laughter emoji on every message she sent. Um, She wasn't wasn't turned into this this monster because of anything she had done. Um, And she's never been able to put her own case... Uh, and have her day in court, but then ancient Greece never had Judge Judy. Medusa versus the goddess Athena. Medusa, you say Athena owes you damages for physical and psychological trauma. To wit, turning you into an inverted snake pit and having your head chopped
1: off. Talk me through it.
0: (laughs) Well, I was, thank you, Judge Judy, I was walking along the beach one day. (laughs) When I was suddenly jumped by this giant guy, he's made of water, and he's like, I'm Poseidon, God of the Sea. Would I like to go on his trident? And I'm like, yeah, right. And then he drags me into this temple, and he rapes me. So, Athena, what I want to know is, why are you here and not this Poseidon creep? Uh, Actually, Judge Judy, it's a bit awkward, because Poseidon is a friend of my father's, uh, Zeus. Um, And actually, Medusa was on the beach dressed in a very skimpy toga. So basically, she was asking for it. That's baloney, madam. Don't dump on my hat and tell me it's lucky. That contributory negligence crap will not carry any legal weight until the end of the second millennium. So bring on, bring on the expert witness. Uh, Yes, yes, uh, I'm Mary Beard, a professor of classics. Um, (laughs) Smiling one moment, then looking quite serious the next. (coughs) Get to the point. Uh, the, the beheaded Medusa is a potent symbol of the suppression of women, uh, turned into a monster by society, and then punished for being that monster. Uh, it's very, very resonant. Uh, yes, Mrs. Mary Beard. Mrs. Mary Beard is, uh, is, might be very interesting, but it's not funny. And actually, I'm in pain here. My highlights are eating each other. Thank you very much. Anyway, that's a work in progress.
1: It's kind of getting there.
0: So, well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So Medusa being punished for having been raped, I mean, maybe when women in their 50s really take over the world, convicted rapists will be fed dick first into a spiralizer, Um, (laughs) alienated half the audience there. Um, So middle age, Uh, I'm kind of, you know, uh, in middle age, I guess, Um, could have been one for you. (laughs) You Thank you very much. Okay. A lot of people would have you believe that middle age is a really hellish time. You know, you're you're caught between feckless children and ageing parents. You're hopelessly pulled in every direction. But actually, it's very much worse than that. I mean, Theresa May was uh, offering a year off unpaid to care for your elderly parents, which is actually levels of torture they'd have thought twice about in Guantanamo. We'd all like to live for as long as we can in the family home, wouldn't we? Because basically, nursing homes are a, a bit shit. I mean, every Sunday, you know, uh, you, across the country, you see women in their 50s looking very sad and being in the garden, being in the cafe, you know, of the garden centre with their aging mothers. Aren't the rhododendrons lovely, mum? I don't think much of this cake. God, I mean, I have so been there, you know, you're checking your watch, to think, you know, when can I take her back to the care home, and then you take her back and you feel shit, because it's so shit, but not quite shit enough to have her come and live with you. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like a really horrible bitch, actually, now, don't I? Anyway, but, you know, taking care of old people isn't like the movies. It's not like a charmingly shabby, broken-down hotel in Mumbai. It's a disgustingly shabby, broken-down Twilight home just off the M40. Picture the scene, Penelope Wilton and Maggie Smith in the best exotic marigold care home. I see the phone must be working again. Someone's finally called the doctor. They're checking Bill Nye's pulse. You're ahead of me. Apparently at the end of his last scene, you nearly had one. I've got a worrying pain in my chest. When are the staff back on duty? Next Thursday. Why don't you tell them then? I can't speak Korean. But if I had a dustpan and brush, I could dispose of the piles of dead flies in the window. Don't you dare. It's the only protein we get. (laughs) So depressing. Tell me about it. I found a pube in the shower. I know it sounds lovely when I say it, but it really isn't. Degrading, disgusting, and dehumanising. Really not a good name for a company that runs a care home. <laughs> the government says the council has to stump up for social care. The council say the government is starving them of cash. They may as well have done with it and turn the place over to Dignitas. So, we're known as the sandwich generation. Bit crusty with way too much filling. Um, no, we've got kids, and we're still looking after ageing parents. I mean, my oldest child's now 30. Everybody's ahead of you, mate. Everybody is ahead of you. <laughs> um, yeah, because kids do have a huge effect on your life, don't they? I mean, there is a quote um, uh, there is no more sombre enemy of good art than the pram in the hall. That was said by a man, Cyril Connolly. What the fuck did he know? I mean,. What I could have achieved if I hadn't had kids dragging me down, if I hadn't had children, I might have been able to afford and, more importantly, fit into those Nicole Fari leather trousers that Theresa May wore. (laughs) Of course, I'm not just a mother, I'm a grandmother. Yes, yes. (laughs) Very good. You are? (laughs) Yeah, I'll buy you a drink later. (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah, I, I am a grandmother, and uh, we are a grandmother, and um, it's, so hard, um, it's so hard to keep your mouth shut as a grandparent sometimes because, you know, you see, see the, your kids, you know, the parents doing all these things that you never would have done. Like, you know, they, they give them the mobile phone as a pacifier. You know, so you see, you see the kid, you know, flicking over the screen like this. You know, pretty soon it won't be so much a kinder egg as a tinder egg. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and the way they put the second baby, this is the thing that I think is really weird. They've got, they, they have uh, the, the toddler in, in the buggy and then at, at the bottom, where you used to put the shopping, there's another baby! <laughs> what the fuck's that about? I mean, what kind of you know, uh, crises are they storing up for this poor little baby here, looking up at his big brother's ass, you know? And periodically getting five pounds of potatoes shoved on top of him. And the other thing that they do that I don't understand is every time they want their children to go to sleep, they put a muslin square right over their faces. Like, it's suffocating. I can't understand that at all. And I don't know what's wrong with half a bottle of cowpole. It's what we used to use. But my youngest is 19 and about to go off to university, and people say, oh, I know, empty nest syndrome. And I'm like, no. Sublet the nest and go off travelling. Um, But of course that can be a bit pricey unless you're somebody like Joanna Lumley um, because she gets TV companies to send her all over the world. Because a TV company knows that if you send Joanna somewhere it's always going to be absolutely lovely. I journeyed through the night and by dawn we'd reached the charming city of Mosul. (laughs) As the sun kissed the fantastic ruins of... Well, everything. (laughs) I have to say, Mosul is every bit as dramatic as it is scrumptious. (laughs) Everything here is throbbing with excitement. I spoke to some local lads as we waited in the glorious sunshine for the Alharia Bridge to be rebuilt. (laughs) They're so utterly lovely, with a real joie de vivre, literally just happy to be alive, as reflected in what must be their traditional greeting, take cover, (laughs) incoming. We shared so much laughter, and later I shed a few tears, which might come in handy for washing when the rebels cut off the water tonight. We captured them all on video, which I'll release as a six-part Channel 4 doco. That's what we call it in the trade, Channel 4. But the worst thing you can do as a 50-something woman is just sit there and be paralysed by everything that's going on outside. I mean, whatever you want to do, um, you know, what I want to say is, you know, just get on and do it and do something. You know, it might be, uh, you know, you might just decide to buy some fluorescent glasses, um, you know, wear a waterfall cardigan and go off to Pilates, you know, covers a multitude of sins like a sort of Timmy Mallet with core strength. Or, you know, you might decide to um, cut off all your hair, um, you know, take up golf, cut off all your hair and say, that's enough sex for me, thanks. <laughs> I'm not going to do My mum did that. I'm not going to do that. I, I, I like sex, actually, if memory serves. Um, LAUGHTER but um, but what what I what I sort of uh, what I'm really going to write a very well constructed and uh, funny rant about is is like is like um, but I haven't written it yet. So this is the this is where I'm talking. You know, it's like a show about a show. Uh, I'm going to write this really amazingly funny rant about um, about about just people being uh, encouraged to buy stuff all the time. Like you know, like being encouraged to buy sofas. You know, nothing to pay for three years. And you're thinking, what's the point of that? I want a fucking new sofa at the end of three years, you know, won't I? And, and, and like, you know, buy a onesie, buy a box set, lie there, just sort of prone and buy more stuff. And, um, you know, and then you buy so much stuff that you need a storage unit. So everybody's got storage units. They're sort of like, you know, the dog shit on the pavement of capitalism. And, you know, everybody's just sort of sitting there watching things like, and this is what I'm leading up to, um, watching things like QVC which is like, you know, the epitome of like, you know, just passive buying. You just sit there and buy stuff. QVC. Well, thanks to Debbie for that last fabulous hour on microfiber mops. There's still availability on the Super Squeegee with Diamonique Encrusted Safety Handle. Today's special value on three easy payments of £29 or two slightly harder ones. But now we're all very excited in the studio because Delta Veronda is here with her fabulous range of fashion knitwear, Delta. That's right, Sandy, we have some beautiful items for you in my new collection. And if you're more of a larger lady, uh, yes, some of us are, yeah. That's right, Sandy, Uh, you'll find that all the Delta Veronda fashion classics make those curves literally vanish from the waist and hips and reappear out of sight under the arms. (laughs) So, uh, the first piece you've got for a stelter is item number 6494, this new Devore cardigan, which is amazing. It really is, Sandy. An amazing texture that distracts amazingly from those lumps and bumps we keep telling ladies to worry about. Oh, but you do have to be quick on the phones, ladies. Already 95% of the stock is sold out, but there's availability in all sizes from small and medium right up to 4XL, 5XL and gazebo. (laughs) And uh, you're loving the whole range of colors. Uh, We've got anthracite, uh, tuna, that's new. Um, We've got uh, pebble dash, avocado, that's not the skin, just the inside stuff. Uh, Dark white and weasel. Um, And and this timeless piece can be worn so many ways. You can see that I'm sporting the sleeves rolled up look. Wow, you certainly have rolled up the sleeves there, Delta. But now what have you done? Well... Sandy, for a casual, fashion-forward, more formal look, I've simply rolled the sleeve down. That is amazing. That is amazing, Delta. And that says one thing to me, and that is versatile. It's $9.99, ladies. It's flattering. It's elegant. There are no fiddly buttons to drop off and choke a family pet. It's got the thing with the sleeves. Um, Buy today and qualify for our special offer, 12 for the price of a dozen. Keep one for yourself. and, um, And gift the rest to a ladies' soccer team. (coughs) Okay, thank you, okay, okay, (coughs) I'm just going to have a little sip of water because any minute now, I'm not going to say it because that's the cue for the music, um, okay, (coughs) all right, Um, here's another little experiment, Uh, I'm going to sing a little song. 2016 was a terrible year, when every celebrity was trembling in fear. Seems every week the old grim reaper would appear, but only one time did I shed a tear. I'd rather have lunch of copper soup and cold spam fritter or book up a Catholic priest to be a babysitter or read everything Piers Morgan has to say on Twitter than live in a world without Victoria. I'd rather pop into Sports Direct for tips on fashion, discuss all the works of Kierkegaard with Kim Kardashian <laughs> or cop off with Alan Titchmarsh for a night of passion than live in a world without Victoria. The biggest of hearts, she reached all the parts the others could only ever dream of reaching. Best of the best, she made all the rest. Look just a bit more grim than two hours anal bleaching. I'd rather go through another Cuban Missile Crisis. Exclusively shop at Waitrose, have you seen the prices? I'd rather book up a package holiday through Isis than live in a world without Victoria. I'd rather pay half a million for a Knightsbridge garage. I'd rather be reincarnated as Mrs Farage and cheerfully smear Nutella round his undercarriage than live in a world without Victoria. (laughs) She played and she sang and every joke rang, so true with all our national obsessions. With talent to burn, we'd look and we'd learn Thank Christ it never crossed her mind to do impressions. I'd rather tell Morrissey that I'm pro vivisection or choose only desert island discs by one direction. I'd rather live with a constant minor yeast infection than live in a world without Victoria. I'd rather we held each year a brand new referendum, or fly everywhere on Ryanair and recommendum. I'd rather have Corbyn's face tattooed on my pudendum than live in a world without Victoria. There'd be no brilliant shows at the Albert Hall. Miss Babs and no Mrs. Overall. No channel swimmer who's lost at sea. No dinner ladies or Kimberley. No Kitty putting the world to rights. No Step Aerobic in bright pink tights. No Pat and Margaret, Barry and Frieda. No two soups. All didn't we need her? Something went wrong and put out the sun. The world's gone dark and a lot less fun. Without
1: Victoria.
0: Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you so much. What would we do? Well, what are we going to do? It is um, a far worse world without her. Um, so, anyway, yeah, being in your 50s, it's like a time of transition, isn't it? You're thinking about other things to do. Lots of people seem to be making a bucket list, which, uh, you know, where they want to go abseiling, whitewater rafting, and half the programmes on tell you are about celebrities out of their comfort zone, you know, doing things they'd never normally dream of. I mean, there's that skiing one, uh, where you're almost duty-bound to break a leg. Uh, the diving one, you know, on and the diving one called Splash where um, that Linda Barker was on. You Remember Linda Barker from Changing Rooms?
1: I've done a flying-forward one-and-a-half somersault pike and Tuck. and may have scared myself shitless and broken my neck, but I'm back on telly, and I think it works really, really well. <laughs> <coughs> I was asked to do this
0: programme once called The World's Most Dangerous Roads. I mean, they might as well call it Celebrity Car Crash, you know, where famous people get entertainingly killed. Well, Richard Hammond's doing his best, isn't he? <laughs> <No>. but, <clears throat> like Next thing, it might be the world's most infectious diseases, where celebrities are infected with a life-threatening illness and have to use their skill and ingenuity to shake it off. With Joe Brand. Hello, well, I've got bubonic plague. The symptoms are nausea, vomiting, headache, confusion and broken blood vessels. Not so much different from a night on the piss, really. So I don't really want a bucket list, I'm much more interested in a fuck it list. Because when you think about it, you know, I'm in my 50s. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that rung true with you, didn't it, madam? <laughs> it's a fuck it list, fuck it, I'll wear these earrings, what do I care? <laughs> um, Yeah, a fuck it list, because, you know, we're near the end, you know, like years ago, there was, you know, a long time left to be embarrassed about something you'd done. But now, you know, I think, well, you know, so what? I've got a a nipple ring, deal with it. (laughs) And now I'm getting a bit older. I think I can share this with you. We know each other well enough now. My fantasy shags aren't so compelling as they were, because I used to adore Bruce Springsteen. You know, ever since Born to Run, and I used to play Born to Run before I went into Cambridge to do my finals, you know, on my little moped. Highways jam with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. Meet me. You know, it was, it was <laughs> pathetic, really. Into the exam hall, feeling like Wendy with my legs wrapped around Bruce's engines. Um, but now, you know, I did actually see Bruce Springsteen in real life at the theatre one night. And, um, and it was quite, it was quite funny, because I, I, I saw him. There weren't very many people in this theatre foyer. And I saw him walk across the bar to go to the loo. And it was kind of like this. Because <laughs> he's got this amazing underbite. Um, and, and, uh, and he's very short, so he wears these little stack heels. <laughs> And so I thought, mm, well, maybe not so much. And, you know, years ago, you know, it was, uh, y- you know, it was kind of, you know, tramps like us, baby, we, you know. And now, on uh, one of his, uh, on his last album, you know, he's got this song. I tell you, the lyric is literally, the lyric is quite literally, I'll clear the leaves out, you drains. <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to be a euphemism for something. <laughs> but, you know, it did, didn't seem quite as glamorous as the whole sort of, you know, the motorbike thing. Um, but I think the thing about a fantasy is it works best when it stays a fantasy, like Paul Dark. Anybody like Pole Dark? Oh, are we loving Paul Dark. No, he doesn't know. Not your kind of thing at all. No, I um, I'm I'm very I'm very keen on Paul Dark, but you know that guy that plays Paul Dark, he's not all that, I don't think really. It's the it's the whole Coszy, it's the whole character of Paul Dark. You know, it's like in the velvet jacket and the that high thing round his neck and those britches that do a funny thing to your package. Um, I think that's what's lovely about Paul Dark. I mean, Aidan Turner, I saw him in a Poirot, complete drip. Um, And and Paul Dark, you see, it's the character. It was the same when Robin Ellis played it years ago. I mean, and he played... um, I I used to love him, you see, and I was only about... I was probably a teenager then. But anyway, um, he played an old judge in this new series, and there he was, Robin Ellis, old Paul Dark, in the same scene as new Paul Dark. Didn't know where to put myself. (laughs) Be still, my beating hand. No, um, but yes. Um, I've gone a bit beyond fantasy shags, and what I'm now onto is fantasy pallbearers. You know, to carry your coffin. <laughs> and my, my my first one, obviously, uh, is Paul Dark. Um, could be Aidan Turner. Could be Robin Ellis. Uh, so long as they're wearing the cosy, it could be one of the Chuckle Brothers, to be honest. Um, uh Jerry Adams from Sinn Fein because <laughs> I just love his voice. Um, and Bruce, of course. Bruce loved him. <laughs> Might be a bit difficult for Bruce, because he's going to be shorter than everyone else, isn't he? But if he if, if it's sort of if it's if the coffin sort of like, you know, leans over a bit towards it, you can always catch it with his underbite. <laughs> but anyway, um, um, so yes, you can catch me with his underbite. Oh, yes, but people <laughs> people have all kinds of fantasy shags, don't they? I mean, I know a lot of men have a bit of a thing about Carol Kirkwood off of BBC Breakfast, um, which I find, uh, you know, slightly strange, really, because, you know, she always seems so sort of pure and perky, like a sort of middle-aged milkmaid. I should think she's probably Philip May's fantasy shag. Maybe she, maybe she reminds him of his primary school teacher because she does talk to you like you're in first-year juniors.
1: Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Louise. Well, we've got some very cheeky weather showing its face today. We have, in northern England, which is Scotland,
0: <laughs> we've got spits and spots of rain, but pretty
1: soon the spits and spots are going to turn into splashes and splooshes. And then do you know who's going to show its face? It's going to be our old friend, Mr. Thunder, Mr. Lightning, and Mr. Area of Low Atmospheric Pressure. (laughs) So if you do dare go outside today, make sure you wear your waterproof
0: Macintosh. Otherwise, you might catch a nasty chill and contract pneumonia and end your days hacking up sputum. Back to you, Charlie and Lou. So, um, <clears throat> I like my woman, I, uh, my woman, my woman, <laughs> I like my woman difficult. I like my woman, I like my women with a bit more bollocks, if you'll pardon the expression. And I'll tell you who I love, because she's so not a people pleaser, is Angela Merkel. I love Angela Merkel, because um, she's like, the, she's like the, immovable, um, the immovable object to Trump's unstoppable twattishness. She's like the human embodiment of a sturdily built German hatchback. She's, like, she's got that look, hasn't she? She's like, you know, don't mess with the Merkelmeister bitch. <laughs> you know, and she's got, she wears those suits. She sort looks like a bit like a teapot, actually, in those suits. Um, but she's uh, she's um, she's very, very uh, good mates with Christine Lagarde, you know, out of the IMF, who I also love because she's so sort of cool and chic, you know. And she kind of uh, looks like she should be, you know, in a cloud of cigarette smoke with her in a cool jazz band with her foot up on the drum kit. <laughs> She's like suit by Chanel and bag by Hermès, perfect derrière, model zone. <laughs> Angela, can I give you some tips on my grooming and styling regime?
2: <laughs>
0: Look into my eyes. Are these the eyes of somebody who gives a flying fuck? Are these the eyes of somebody who can't so much as remember what the flying fuck is anymore? I tell you they are the eyes of someone who has never known the joys of a radio frequency facial. Shut up, Christine. All of these dickheads think they're harder than me, and where are they now? Blair, gone. Sarkozy, fuck off. Cameron, in your liver-versed face, pork boy. (laughs) Obama, twatted off the way of the dodo. May, probably next Tuesday. (laughs) All of them, I will outlive those little shits if it's the last thing I do. Anyway, being... (laughs) Being a difficult woman, it is—it is quite exhausting. Being a difficult woman sometimes, and uh, you know, because you have to—you know—if you're putting yourself out there, if you are trying to do stuff, which I think is better than um, sitting there watching QVC, it can get quite exhausting. And sometimes, you know, you do need to go to your safe place, which I must admit for me is—you um, know—the kitchen linens department of John Lewis. Um, <coughs> or, uh, failing that, Radio 4. Got any Radio 4 listeners? Yes, jolly good. Why else would you be here? Uh, you're very much my core audience. Um, yeah, Radio 4. I love Radio 4. And um, given that they spend all day <clears throat> in a world that's so elaborately horrible, it's not surprising the women of Radio 4 can be a bit difficult. Mighty, the only reason that Sarah Montague is so grumpy is she has to get up so bloody early. You're on the Today programme. Minister, answer the question. I'm Sarah Montague and I haven't seen the naughty side of 9 pm for 15 years. Now, spit spot. She's like a sort of aggressive Mary Poppins. Minister, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Is that what prompted the Rent Boys and Coke binge? But say what you like about Radio 4, they do hang on to their staff. That Kate Aidy, she's been there for years, hasn't she? Hello, I'm Kate Adie. I used to be the lone woman in the boys' club, headlining the nine o'clock news from the front line of the world's most glamorous wars. Now I do the links for From Our Own Correspondent sitting outside a broom cupboard in Broadcasting House. I'm about to introduce a 10-minute-long story from our Andorran correspondent about a trip to the vet, and then I'm going to listen to death metal and stab myself with a compass just to feel alive again. (laughs) And then there's consumer champion Winifred Robinson. She comes over less difficult woman a more depressed gerbil. Welcome to you and yours. In today's programme, is the TV licence carcinogenic? <laughs> how to get blood stains off a will? <laughs> and how to fill all your free time when the PPI, PPI calls finally? <laughs> But first, we've been rocked by the news that car financing packages have gone up an average of 8.9 pence last year alone. And I just think, Winifred, look around you, Winifred. There's a whole world of shit out there. The world's creeping back towards fascism, and you've got your knickers in a twist about roaming charges. Anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to spool through this one, because I've realised that we're running slightly out of time. So I'm going to spool through. Aww. I know, I know. Um... So um, I'm going to I'm going to spool through um, because um, we we are we are living in a very scary world, aren't we? Should I spool through to that? I'm just trying to think what you'd most like to hear. (laughs) Um, Oh, I tell you what, I'll try. I tell you what, I'll try. Oh, I know what I'll do. I just want to do a li- uh, b- just go back to Radio 4 for a minute, but, uh, because uh, what I would really like uh, to see on Radio 4 is the, is the women getting really difficult, is the women kind of, you know, standing up and kind of, uh, uh, you know, really sort of telling it like it is. Hello and welcome to the reunion with me, Sue McGregor. <laughs> I'm joined by the bankers, who in 2008 crashed the global economy, meaning nurses now have to go to food banks. Gentlemen, good morning. You absolute cunts. (laughs) You shower of fetid shite. I hope you go to hell and Beelzebub rips out your eyes and skull fucks you for the rest of eternity. (laughs) So Fred, turning to you first, what were your recollections of that year? I just wanted to say that as Sue McGregor, really. (laughs) Uh, But on a more superficial note, one of the things you may consider as a woman of nearly 60, Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, uh, It's what they call having a bit of work done. Now, some things seem to get more mellow, more attractive with age, like leather bags, wooden furniture, (laughs) men. Um, but women, apparently, have to stay young, have to stay slim. Don't forget that important waist-to-hip ratio, ladies, so that you can retain that important illusion that you still have an attractive, child-bearing body, like you, like you want to give any birth to any more children now. But anyway, why is it that so many rich and famous people have work done, but they have really bad work done? Why is it that they, they, they have this work done, so they all end up looking like weird sheep? LAUGHTER they all look exactly the same, don't they? I mean, they've all got, you know, the Gucci bag and the Hermes frock and all that and, and this face that looks like it might, have, might as well have come from Marks and Sparks because it's the same as everybody else's. You go in there and say, yes, I'll have a weird sheep, please. <laughs> Very strange. I don't understand it at all. I mean, um, some people, you know, the ones you have to really watch out for are people like Meryl Streep. Who uh, who have work done and don't tell you about it, and then <laughs> just do
1: their life-affirming
0: laugh and show off their perfect neck. <laughs> but although women always say, although women always say I've done it for me, I'm slightly suspicious of that because it always it mainly seems to be heterosexual women who are having work done. So I think it's maybe got something to do with the male gaze, you know, by which I mean the view of the female by the male, because talking of the gaze. Lesbians seem to have this totally sorted. Apart from Patricia Cornwell, you know, the crime writer, who has got a bit of a weird sheep face, um, I'm not sure I know of many or any lesbians that have had work done. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to have a discussion about it. Um, but it's like, it's like lesbians are totally cool with a bit of ageing, because interestingly, the male gays, that's G-A-Y-S, are all getting loads of work done, because that's because they're getting the male gaze from the male gaze. <laughs> are you keeping up? <laughs> Totally lost. Never mind. Um, Okay. Um, so, yes, it's a very scary world, isn't it? What with um, Trump and Putin and Brexit and the election. Um, And Theresa May called this election saying, the whole country is uniting behind Brexit. Only Westminster remains divided. I mean, she couldn't have got it more wrong, could she? Whole families are still not speaking to each other. (laughs) Offices with red lines down the middle, separating the Remainers from the... um, the other bastards, Um, (laughs) but um, I'll do a pro-Brexit line in a minute, maybe. Um, But it is hard to know how the British people will come to terms with the schism of Brexit. Welcome to Newsnight, I'm Kirsty Warwick, providing you with political insights you can pass off as your own on Facebook. As Britain struggles to come to terms with Brexit, the desperate plight of migrants continues. Our international news correspondent, Lise Doucette, reports live from a newly discovered refugee camp.
1: (laughs) Thanks Kirsty, I'm standing here where thousands of frantic people are trying to get across the border in search of a better life.
0: (laughs) And you're in Greece uh, or Macedonia. No, Kirsty, I'm on the M-74 at the border to Scotland. (laughs) Middle-class English people are fighting to escape the chaos and devastation raging across the home counties. Uh, How are they coping with the language difficulties? Well, they are finding the thick accents difficult to understand, but I have promised to try and enunciate more clearly. (laughs) Anyway, um, I actually do have to stop, I regret, because um, the lovely um, Barbershop Chronicles have got to come in here any minute now. But, um, yeah, this this show I've I've written um, because, like I say, I'm at a stage of my life where I'm thinking, you know, what next, and all these women are in power, so it was kind of like, you know, if not now, when? Um, but uh, I think, you know, the important thing as a woman is to be out there and doing something, to be out there and taking a risk and, you know, while there are lots of things that we, um, you know, uh, may not like about Theresa May or Diane Abbott or whoever, you know, they're out there, you know, and, and, they're, and they're, you know, they're taking a risk and they're going for it. And also, you know, as far as Theresa May is concerned, I mean, the reason we've got Theresa May is this entitled wanker that called the referendum in the first place. <laughs> and if she goes... There's going to be another entitled wanker in her place, so just be careful what you wish for. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.